You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this Rain Stop Play special episode where we're going to be examining the ongoing racism scandal that's currently engulfing English cricket. After Azim Rafiq's moving testimony to Parliament last week, we felt it was right to spend some time chatting about one of the largest scandals in English cricket history and chat to some experts along the way. This episode is going to take a slightly different route to normal as we have four excellent guests this week to help us explain what exactly happened last week and explain to us what happens next. In this episode, you'll hear from Taj Butt, chairman of Kide E Azam Cricket League, Yorkshire campaigner Chris Marshall, Tom Brown, a PhD researcher at Birmingham City University and a player development coach at Warwick Cricket Club, and Adam Kelly, senior lecturer in sports coaching and physical education, who works alongside Tom. At the end, myself, Will and Glenn will have a chat to reflect on what you're about to hear over the next 45 minutes or so and ask the big what next question as we reflect on the week past and what is to come next for English cricket. I mean, to make one thing very clear, Paki is not banter. Racism is not banter. My first instance uh, of drinking, I actually got pinned down at my local cricket club um, and red wine got poured down my throat. How old were uh, you? 15. After a year of delay, denial and cover-up, the scandal surrounding racist harassment of Azim Rafiq at Yorkshire Cricket Club finally exploded open last week. Cricket has come under the microscope of members of parliament and has been thrust onto the front pages of daily newspapers. But how did an open secret within the game turn into its biggest scandal in decades? Rafiq's testimony in parliament was powerful and heartbreaking in its exposure of racist treatment. Most tragically to all cricket fans, he told MPs that he wants his own son nowhere near the game he once loved. We now know that Azim was victim of racial harassment for years during his time at Yorkshire and that some of English cricket's biggest names have been implicated in the scandal. 
This includes recent internationals Gary Balance and Alex Hales, as well as two of the game's most prolific broadcasters in Michael Vaughan and David Lloyd. Even England captain Joe Root is described by Azeem as a good man who failed to speak out against racist bullying when the pair were at Yorkshire together a decade ago. The ugly truth is that few British Asians were surprised to hear that Rafiq was the subject of abuse. What's different now is that, at long last, he's being believed. On today's Rain Stop Play special, we look into how things at one of England's biggest cricket clubs could go so badly wrong, examine the structural barriers facing black and Asian players in the game, and ask how we can use this watershed moment to change cricket for good. One man who knows an awful lot about Yorkshire cricket and its history of racism is Taj Butt. Taj is the chairman of the Kaidi Azam Cricket League, a local league in the area made up primarily of players from British Asian backgrounds. The club made headlines last week after taking the decision to formally sever all ties with the Yorkshire Cricket Board and the ECB, citing a history of neglect and preferential treatment. We spoke to Taj to find out more and ask him what future he sees for Asian players in the game. I'm Taj Butt, I'm the chair of the Guardians and the Cricket League. I've been chair for around 35 years. The league itself has been going for 42 years. We actually started back in 1980. The, uh, the reason we took this decision on, on, on Sunday, well, not Sunday, just gone at the annual meeting, is actually as a result of something that we've been, you know, been discussions, some of the discussions we've been having with Yorkshire Cricket Board for a number of years. This is not something new. We were the only league who were willing to provide access to the sport of cricket for a lot of, a lot of members. Um, and, and we were the only ones, the, you know, the other clubs, the mainstream clubs, were simply stopping our, our, uh, our community from actually becoming members of the clubs and so on, and, and leagues and so on. So that's when we first started. But then as we made progress, um, we actually developed as a league as well. You know, we were always known as the Asian League, and, and this is something that we objected to all the, all the number of years, that this, we're not Asian League. We, yes, we, our members happen to be Asian, but we're actually a league just like any other league. We have our members and we are, you know, dedicated to the clubs, to the, the teams, and we have umpires, we have groundsmen, and all those sort of things you need to become a successful league. But we were still given that title, the Asian League. So we wanted to get away from that. And, and obviously, the, the, the fact is that we were simply not allowed to get away from that and become part of the mainstream. Now, the, the clubs that we have in the Asian League, we, I think there's only about two of them actually own their own grounds. Uh, the rest of them simply hire their grounds from a Saturday club. And that is an issue in itself. Um, a lot of the clubs, and, you know, in the, in the city like Bradford, where, where the, club, the league is based, in, a lot of the clubs simply won't let us play on a Sunday, despite the fact that there'll be no matches going on there. All the matches that are played on a Saturday, apart from the odd cup match, the grounds are left free. But, you know, but despite that, they, they would rather leave it free than hire it out to the local agent team. So that's been a problem over the, over the number of years. And we also know for a part that the investment that has come in uh, is actually also come in to, in order to improve facilities and improve access to the South Asian communities. Now, we have got a number of examples where these clubs have actually applied for funding to DCP, improved their facilities in name of South Asian communities that they were going to improve access to their communities. And we know for a part that that hasn't happened. And also in terms of representation, now, we are an affiliated member. Uh, all our clubs are affiliated, but we don't have a representation within the organisation or the cricket board. They have set up a number of different forums to look at things like coaching, young people, pathways, leagues and clubs. But 
on, on all of these forums, all these committees, we don't have any representation on, on those at all. And, and the only organization that's actually representing all of those is an organization called the National Asian Cricket Council, which we have absolutely no ties with ourselves or with the South Asian communities uh, in, in, in a city like Bradford. But they have a representation on all of those forums, and we don't. So that's something we object to as well. Um, and the third, and probably the most critical part of it, is that you know, some of our clubs who play, you know, play on a, on a Sunday, obviously we're a Sunday league, but some of them also play on a Saturday as well. But they tend to play at the very lowest level, at the recreation level. And some of those clubs actually have you know, quite well-established clubs. They play in the leagues, they have their own grounds and all the facilities and so on. But, you know, when they try to improve themselves and they try to play at a higher level, in terms of level where they think they should be playing, obviously what we have to do is we have to apply to join another league. Now, my club that I run on the Saturday and Sunday, we, we you know, I like to think that we've got excellent facilities. We have a, a probably one of the best junior sections, including the Premier Leagues as well. Uh, you know, we have nine junior teams, girls teams and disabled teams and all those sort of things that are required in order to progress to a higher level. Um, we've applied a number of times to join leagues. But each time we rely on the member clubs where we want to join in for them to vote us into their league. But sadly, that's, that's not been happening, not just our club, but there's been a number of other examples where they simply will not allow the Norwegian team to play in their league. So that is an issue in itself, and, and that has been going on for a number of years. Uh, and then the, the, the Yorkshire Cricket Board and, and through the ECB, they set up what they call the pyramid system. Pyramid system works in the same way as it does in football. You have the Premier League right at the top, and then you have different levels going all the way to the bottom. Now, we thought that was sort of answer to our prayers. That's, you know, that's, you know, now we have a payment system. You don't need to rely on the member's board. As long as you meet the criteria, you go at a certain level, depending on what facilities you have and what standards you, you, what standards you have in terms of your players and so on. So when that came in, we thought that was, that was it. That was the answer. But sadly, we were left out of the payment system altogether. So both the, you know, the clubs that play on a Saturday, all Asian clubs and all Asian leagues, and also on a Sunday as well, we simply left out of the payment system. So these are the sort of things that we've been bringing up to their attention. And we actually held a meeting in October 2018 with the Ultra Cricket Board. And we said and we said that we wanted something to be done with them. And particularly in, in mind that we were all affiliated members. And that was one of the issues that we had. We pay an affiliation fee in exactly the same way that a Premier League club does. And also the amount we pay is the same as, as a Premier League club, even though... None of our clubs have their own facilities. We hire them from elsewhere. And, and in return for the affiliation fee, uh, a club, a Premier League club, would get an awful lot in return in terms of granted from the ECB and, and other bodies, whereas our club, clubs get absolutely nothing in return. So these are specific issues we brought up in 2018 uh, to, to YCB. And we were told that they would have their meetings and they would come back to us with a response. So we have now been waiting exactly three years. Uh, and, and we thought that uh, up to three years, I think it's long enough and it's about time that we actually stood up for ourselves and our, our members actually proposed and voted against, we voted on pulling out of affiliation in Yorkshire Cricket Board. So you've continually tried to reach out and be involved with Yorkshire and other local clubs, but but they shut you out. What reasons do they give for that? I think sadly, I think it's, that is the, the arrogance within, within Yorkshire Cricket itself. I and mean, I think that's something that highlighted by Asim Rafiq. Uh, he's been crying out for a number of years, and again, it's, it's taken 15 months. Uh, and, and usually the response you get from your is not, not in a sort of positive, but they will actually come back and try to discredit you. Uh, and, and I think that's been our case as well. Again, that's, you know, we, we've been marginalised as, as a league and as, as members, and then basically 
more or less told to go away and then hope, hope, hoping that we would sort of shut up. Taj, you've said that things are improving for a time in the 1980s and 90s, but now it seems to be going backwards. Why is that? They actually saw it as an issue back in the, back in the 80s, and they brought a number of different organisations together to sit down with Yorkshire Cricket itself. And, and you know, the, our league being a prominent league, they are, we were one of the members that we were invited. We actually sat down and had a number of, number of meetings, uh, and we, you know, we were allowed to actually speak and, and, and come up with the issues that we felt would need to address it. Uh, at that time, you know, luckily, there, there were actually people within Yorkshire people who, who were willing to listen to us. And we actually set up a, a really good forum. Uh, it was called the, the Black and Ethnic Minority Cricket Forum for Yorkshire. For Yorkshire. Uh, and, and there were people sort of from all over Yorkshire, including Bradford, Leeds, Sheffield, the Kirklees area. So there were very sort of prominent people that were invited to become members of this forum. Uh, and, and we, you know, every year we took a number of different, different initiatives and we worked together with Yorkshire Cricket Association at the time, and particularly certain individuals who felt that they needed to be doing, needed to do something. And, 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 and you know, because of all the, the, the negative image that the club had uh, and, and Yorkshire Cricket had in particular. And we certainly put certain things in place, uh, and which actually resulted in some really thing, really good things coming out of that. And, and, and you know, we, we started seeing people like uh, Adi Rashid and Adi Shazad and, and one or two others actually started coming up through the system itself. And, and numbers at the time were really encouraging. Uh, but sadly, over the last decade or so, we've seen um, a new change in management. Individuals, of course, unfortunately moved on. Uh, and, and one of the sort of really negative things to happen recently has been the South Asian uh, South Asian community's cricket strategy, which is actually is, is actually starts back as a community in terms of where we were at the time, making progress and becoming a mainstream. To now, the, the you know, as a result of this huge investment that the ECB has actually put into cities like Bradford and these and others, uh, that has actually resulted in us going backwards and, and, and certainly nowhere near the progress that we were making in the nineties. Some people will listen to Azim and been, been shocked that this stuff is still going on. Have things got any better over the 35 years that you've been involved? Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that why we first started as a league, you know, an old Asian league, was that, um, you know, for the start, the the Asian players were simply not allowed access to local clubs. You know, the racism that existed at the time was very direct and very in your face. But as soon as you took a field to the field, you were told exactly who you were. Uh, the P word and, and everything else that followed it. So that that was everyday part of the life, part of life. If we missed the last bus home and then you know and you were caught on your own, then the chances are you were likely to get likely to get attacked. You know, the, so the skinheads, the, the the fascist organization like the National Front, so on and so on. They were very prominent. So these these things were every everyday life. I mean, I, I, I certainly in those I didn't play cricket, but I played football at the time, uh, and I was in, you know playing with a team that was all Asian and then. Um, and, and this sort of thing actually happened on, on, on a regular basis. Every single match, you, you knew that you were going to get abused. Uh, and I pointed out to referees, can you not hear what's going on? Can you not see what they have to say? Uh, and the response from the referee was, get on with it, it's part of the game. That was his response. Well, thinking about it, actually, he was right in a way, because that was part of the game. And that's something that happened in all walks of life, not just in, in, in sport. Uh, and we simply had to accept it and get on with it. But clearly, you know, some people were imagine this. We decided that no, that cannot be right. That we have to do something about. It. And that's when we started getting organised and started, you know, making sure that we made we we had provided opportunities for other people like ourselves, people in our community who wanted to play whether it's football, cricket, or whatever. And that's when we started setting up our teams, clubs, and eventually the league. 
that doesn't happen happen as much as it used to do in the 80s and 90s. So, so people have become, you know, they've become a lot more settled. Certainly since 9-11, the language has changed. So you're more likely to call Taliban or Bin Laden or those sort of words. They're much more common now because to a certain extent, you can actually get away with saying that as opposed to calling you the P-word. So that's always been there. And, and, and I think it's only, uh, you know, when, when, when they came out and people were surprised, it, it, it came as no surprise whatsoever to the people who were involved in the game at grassroots level. So we've obviously seen some personnel changes at Yorkshire now. How much trust do you have that the change is genuine and what would persuade you to rejoin the YCB? Yeah, certainly. I mean, now that it's, it's, you know, everything's come, come out now and hopefully people realise that uh, something needs to be done. And a lot of people uh, are you know, seem to be saying the right sort of thing. Obviously, Lord Patel is coming to Yorkshire and everything he's said and done so far is something that was needed right, right from the start. Uh, but it's, you know, clearly people, you know, people in, in power, but also people throughout the organisation, they need to recognise that we need to change, need to change the culture. It's, it's one thing changing it, the individuals, people at a sort of higher level and so on. But until you change the culture within within the sport, the sport itself, things things that you know are going to remain the same. And we've seen that within within Yorkshire, and I'm sadly I've seen it at first time. Having worked at Heading with us for some time in terms of the culture that still exists within the organisation. Until we change that culture, then we're not we're not going to see any changes, no matter how many action plans we put in place. You know what we really need within within the sport is. An organisation, you know, who can actually challenge what's going on. I think that's been one of the problems that we found. Is they've got away with it for a number of years because there's been no no one there to challenge them. Now it was only when the the, the politicians and the media and, and some sponsors, when they started getting involved, they actually started recognising that this is not right. That's when this, we started taking action and and people started resigning and, and some other things that happened. Because what last thing we want to see is that everybody's talking about this issue now. But, you know, sadly, you know, a lot of people think, you know, you know, come a couple of months, six months or whatever, everything will be forgotten and we'll get, get back to normal. While Taj and his club cut ties with Yorkshire and the ECB this week, there are some trying to reform Yorkshire cricket from the inside. Ordinary club members have been organising for the support of 400 members required to force the club into holding an emergency general meeting where members will be able to pass binding motions to change the way the club is run. We spoke to campaign organiser Chris Marshall, who's been a Yorkshire fan for more than five decades. Chris, why, why are you trying to force this EGM now? The, the EGM um, is obviously that, you know, we set in motion, Jim and I set in motion the, the, the attempts to force an EGM. Uh, before the report was even uh, likely to be put out, before the select committee had been set up, before Hutton resigned, before Lord Patel was put in place. Uh, and we put it in place then for, for that reason that you know, I, I've explained elsewhere, is that the future, you know, what makes me angry is that the future of the club is currently held between an institutionally racist organisation and a morally bankrupt organisation, the ECB. Um, you may argue about the use of words, but I think if you were looking for two organisations to, to, to invest in your future, and you wouldn't choose either of those at the moment. So, so we are uh, between a rock and a hard place. Now, an AGM would have been easier to get for, go for with less members, uh, but it would only have been to get a, we're going to discuss this. An EGM allows us to put a specific motion in place. 
And we still believe that more than ever, in a way, um, we need to have that EGM because part of it has to be to force the clubs to force the ECB, um, for example, to be very specific as to what and when the measurement will be as to whether the, the, the test matches remain suspended. So I think the EGM is needed to help help Yorkshire Cricket Club to, to force and put pressure on uh, the ECB as well. I also think it's an opportunity to help Yorkshire Cricket Club um, because if the members want to be listened to, the members have to have something to say. Uh, and that's always an issue. You always, it's, it's always easy to criticise. It's always easy to say, I wouldn't do that. And, you know, with 4,000 or so members in Yorkshire, there's without doubt, you know, a diverse group there that represents all types of society and all types of views and all types of beliefs. So somewhere that needs to be coordinated as well. Last year at the AGM, we voted on a, 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 a member representative to the board or you know, from the board, from, from, the, from the membership to the board. Never heard from him, never heard from that person while they were pitching for the job, yeah, once they got the job, after the job or throughout this. Yeah? And, and if you look at that profile, it would be hard to say that that doesn't fit into the stereotype of you live and work in Yorkshire, you do well in Yorkshire, you develop the career path in Yorkshire, and part of that is at some point you sit on one of these great Yorkshire institutional boards as, as part of an old boys club. So we want the EGM to be a catalyst, not just to, 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 to make a point, but to make some suggestions as to how we can actually work better together. Chris, I want to ask you about, about culture in the club and, and racism and all of that. But just quickly, to go back to the EGM specifically, you mentioned the gang and EGM lets you table your own motion. If there are any Yorkshire members listening or who feel like they want to get involved, what specifically are you wanting to get done if you get that EGM? Is that about changing board members and executives or is that about passing a motion on how the club is run or, or something specifically on this issue? Uh, I think the specific for us is about um, a structure that is more, more inclusive for the members. Um, so I, I've put something on my site about that. Um, I think that firstly, the membership committee needs to be expanded. I think it needs to have more members from representing all aspects of the community that Yorkshire Cricket Club wants to or intends to interact with. And now that will be quite big and that, that's fine because you know, it's a members committee, it can be structured and run that way. I think it needs to have more representation from Yorkshire Cricket Club on there. I would suggest two members. Uh, it should be chaired by um, a member of the mem mem members committee, but the vice chair should be off from the Yorkshire board. Um, so they are the link back to that board. And I also think that the members should probably have up to three seats on the board to ensure that a good cross-section of the communities are are represented Chris does, does the culture of the fans represent what's going on or what was going on at the boardroom in Yorkshire well I mean if you if you if you look around the the membership group yeah, then there's a, a very clear prominence of of me white class white middle-aged elderly um, if I walk around Yorkshire um, you would see far more integration uh, on communities a level above that with membership which is a different kind of interaction then I suspect there is slightly more 
embedded racism or historic racism that's going on. But then at the club, the problem is at the top of the pyramid or the iceberg, it's the club that makes the difference. So, so you only need, you only have one head coach. Yeah? And his culture or their culture or her culture is, you know, part of the role is, is to, to, to put your culture down through the club and into the players at all levels. So, so if you, you know, I'm a big fan for analogies, although they drive me mad when other people use them. You can't leave just one rotten apple in a barrel and then put new apples in. Because however good all those new apples are, the rotten apple will still find a way of, of, of ruining yeah, several others. Um, yeah, and that, that's why I think that racism within the club is, is the start point, because it's, it, it's from there that it, it, it generates out. But it's why I believe that the members need to have a, a closer synergy and working relationship with the club so these changes happen in parallel rather like railway lines, rather than a single tram line, uh, monorail, where we wait for it to happen in the club and then we wait to see how that affects us. What's going to happen next for you and, and I guess for Yorkshire as well? In terms of what happens next, um, you know, you have to sort of, if you're at the bottom of the ladder, there is only one way you, you, can, you can practically go. Uh, how far and how successful that is, I... I, I I'm optimistic about it. I think we would accept some punishments. I think if the ECB had said that you're going to go in the second division for a couple of years and you're going to lose, I always thought the best punishment would have been to take the, the 23 test, Ashes test away from us. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's something that wouldn't affect anybody immediately um, in terms of having bought tickets and everything else. Um, so I, I think that some punishments may be required if they don't move quickly enough. But as we said earlier, so much of it is dependent on so many moving parts now. You know, the ECB have to give clear direction and support. The PCA have to restructure. So at the moment, it's 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 not just Yorkshire. Yorkshire will survive. I I, I don't think I've got any doubts about Yorkshire surviving, and Yorkshire will be better. Um, but change takes a long time, you know, and cultural change takes even longer. How do you know you've succeeded? Yeah, that, that, that's the, the, the real question, yeah, question, I think, is like you can put all the programmes in the world you want into place, you can put all the educational programmes in the world, but you know, it won't be until you know, some, um, you know, some kid now from, from whatever background yeah, that's currently hitting a tennis ball with his back, with his dad and his mum and his sister in the back garden, it won't be till they are coming through, yeah, whether that is as players, coaches, administrators, board members, it won't really be there till then that you know that you've sorted this out. There will be ways of, of tracking it. There will be ways of measuring it and monitoring it. Um, but you're not going to know for years yeah, if you've sorted this out. So there has to be, for, for a cricket phrase, there has to be some pathway to success. Yeah, there has to be some pathway to change and some pathway to, to measuring that, that success and that change. There you go. Last analogy. Right. <laughs> the cultural change uh, required in, in Yorkshire and cricket, and, and, and I'll stick at those two, is not a fast and furious T20 gimmicky uh, event, activity. It's a long, boring boycott batting on all five days.
But while last week's scenes in Parliament uncovered the finer details of Yorkshire's botched inquiry and the game's governing rules, we know this is all just one part of a bigger story. While cricket has always been popular with black and Asian Britons, increasingly fewer players from ethnic minority backgrounds are making it at the top level. And it's not enough to say this is a social problem. At the minute, cricket is the outlier among sports, while competitors like football and rugby get more inclusive. To find out what's going on, we spoke to Tom Brown, a PhD researcher at Birmingham City University and a player development coach at Warwickshire County Cricket Club. We spoke with Tom alongside Adam Kelly, a senior lecturer in sports coaching and physical education who's helping Tom with his research. Tom's research was quoted in Azeem's testimony in Parliament, where he studies the shocking details behind demographic underrepresentation in cricket. Tom, can you take us through some of the statistics that you found in your research showing how badly underrepresented South Asians are in professional cricket? The recreational game, so those who play cricket for fun in this country, uh, the British South Asian community have about 30% representation. So about a third of all people who play cricket in the country are from the British South Asian community. Um, and effectively, only 5% of the professional um, demographic is British South Asian. So, so what our study looked into was, is that a representation of what's going on in talent pathways or is that a representation of uh, the sort of country as a whole? And effectively, what we identified that across the country, about 20% of the talent pathways, so county age groups from under 10 to under 19s, were British South Asian. So whilst that's lower than the recreational demographic, it didn't quite lead to you know, huge significant um, biases between the national norms and um, the talent pathways. Uh, but then that drop off to 5% was, was um, where, where the huge, the huge drop off is. And effectively, it just highlights that you know, from that sort of 16 onwards age group turning to professional cricket, that's where the South Asian community faced the, um, the, the biggest sort of barrier to get through. And, and that's where we need to be aiming uh, any interventions to, to solve the problem at that age and, and at the professional game. Any, any change where you're trying to, you know, systematically change the system is going to take time and you can have all the, the goodwill in the world what's not going to happen is we wake up tomorrow and you know 30 percent of chief execs have been fired and replaced by you know minority people nor would we want that as adam alluded to in the short to medium term what i don't want to happen is we've got you know several several talented asian players to basically fall by the wayside waiting for change you know these guys who are 17 18 19 now don't have time four five six years to wait for the system to change uh, so what we've done is we've created a program um, called SACA, in the, uh, which will be based in Birmingham, but we're trying to make it a, a national program. And effectively, what it does is it offers um, Asian players between the age of 18 to 24 an opportunity to train and uh, develop at, the, at a professional standard, at a, at a proper facility. Uh, and they're basically given a program and a second bite of the cherry to, to play and perform at the, at the top level. Has the data on this got any better in the last few years? Uh, you know, after so many diversity and inclusion initiatives, as well as the ECB's own South Asian Action Plan. Uh, well, no, frankly, it's actually got worse. But it it, it does depend how you, how you measure it to say if it's got better or worse. Um, the South Asian Action Plan, in fairness, actually hardly talks or mentions about professional elite cricket anyway. I think it's a 120-page document that only really has four or five pages dedicated to professional cricket. So 
if you're grading whether the South Asian Action Plan has been a success or not, it probably has been in the areas in terms of engaging communities and uh, and building relationships. But if you look at the, the numbers, so from 2010 to 2020, um, the amount of South Asian cricketers in professional crickets declined by 40%. Um, and I know the, I've forgotten, I think it's Kate who was the, um, at the ECB presented a stat that 7% there's a, an increase of seven to 28 percent of minority players on on pathways um since 2014 but i was saying well during that time the professional game has declined by 40 percent. so maybe one step forward in one direction and two steps back in another three and a half four years ago uh, prior to tom even starting uh, i had a conversation with paul greetham who's the academy manager at warwick's county cricket club and he was really keen to better understand why they have a large representation of British South Asians coming into their talent pathway at youth levels from sort of under 10s through to under 19s. Um, but these players weren't making that successful transition from that talent pathway into senior professional level. So he wanted to better understand why. And one of the things Tom often chat about is um, when he first started, we, we almost wanted to better understand why or what British South Asians were doing wrong in terms of what, why aren't they transitioning into those pathways? However, as we've slowly gone through this process, which is like the Fawley Azine case and a lot of the other sort of pains that have been popping up, um, we almost thought like what, what British South Asians doing wrong, but in fact, it's the current talent pathways that we've got that aren't um, helping British South Asians or conforming to them. They almost have to fit into this organisational structure that we already have in place, which isn't suitable for those. And you now have new research which shows that these disparities can't be explained by differences in on-field performance, right? Throughout the pathway, we found no evidence at all to suggest that um, that white players were, were significantly outperforming Asian players. In fact, any evidence we did find where the results were significant actually suggested that the Asian players were outperforming the white players. Um, so a lot of the things that people sort of throw around board meetings or selection meetings are, it doesn't matter what you look like, if you're good enough, you'll be selected. And whilst performance statistics, you know, any cricket badger will tell you that stats don't mean everything and it's when and what you do, blah, blah, blah. And that makes sense. But when you've got a sample of 250 people averaging it out, you would think that the stats indicate on average um, or, or give a relative indicator of performance and that indicator highlights no differences between Asian and white players throughout the pathway. How much of this can be explained by dressing room culture like Azim is exposed and, and how much is down to the more structural factors? Any harassment, bullying or anything of that kind won't have a detrimental effect to performance and I think Azim's been incredibly brave over the past 18 months to go well throughout his career you know from hearing what he's gone through but especially over the last 18 months, you know, acting as a whistleblower. And I believe it will open the floodgates. We're already seeing a few others stand, uh, you know, coming forward to talk about their experiences. And I do believe it's, it's just the start. Um, whilst that certainly is going on, my, what I don't want to come from that is for a county structure to look and go, well, we don't have that, therefore we don't have an issue. Um, that, that's the, the, the top end of the scale and it needs to be addressed, certainly. And I'm sure we need to educate coaches as to how even the little things are affecting players mentally. But what we're looking into more are the, the real subtle things. And as Adam alluded to, 
a minute ago saying, well, is the pathway designed to help Asian players or, or players from minority backgrounds or is it dis- or is it asking them to conform to our notions of what performance are? Um, and some of the studies we're looking at now are really um, testing those boundaries and, and identifying areas where um, Asian players are viewed differently to, to white players. So you're saying that the decisions made by youth coaches are hugely important in getting a diverse playing group? If we've got a pathway that's full of white British coaches that are trying to facilitate the development of both white British, British South Asian, and black British, etc., minority groups, um, then they are naturally going to have to conform to this sort of like white British culture of what is deemed as like an ideal character. I think what's really important to highlight is throughout the pathway selection process, the, the entire process is subjective. Um, you know, it's it, you get in based on the opinions of the three or four coaches who are making that decision. Yes, they might refer to some performance statistics, or um, but you only get performance statistics if you've been selected. Um, so if you're trying to break into a into a system, it is based on the opinions of of, of those coaches, and and that goes all the way up to um, you know the, getting a contract or not. It's the directors of cricket and the head coach that decides whether you get a contract or not. And the numbers for representation of British Asians among coaches isn't any better than players, is it? Yeah, I mean, 94% of coaches at academy academy position or higher are white. So if you look at academy, if, the way I looked at it was if you went for first-class counties, there are 18 of them. Um, there are That means there are 18 academy directors, 18 second-team coaches, 18 uh bowling coaches 18 batting coaches 18 head coaches 18 directors of cricket so there's over 200 jobs and when you look through that there's from a minority background you've got um Vikram Solanke as a head coach at Surrey you've got Kadir Ali at Worcestershire uh Jigganaya at Leicestershire who's a, a bowling consultant Adma Shazad at Derbyshire and Min Patel at Kent and that's it so out of 200 jobs we can name only five coaches um, from minority backgrounds. I think Mark Rampakash has just got a job at Middlesex, actually, so maybe six. So we, we, we approached with a three-prong approach. Prong one was the players. Prong two was the coaches. There are some seriously big-name coaches that cannot get jobs or cannot even get job interviews at jobs they should walk into. Um, and some of the excuses they get thrown, it's not really my place to, to name and say any of the, what they're, they're told, but one of the things they're often told is, oh, you don't have the experience when you see other players, typically white, um, walk straight out of dressing rooms into massive coaching roles, and then these guys who are as big, if not bigger names, you haven't got enough experience. So we're saying, right, well, we will give you the experience then and we'll fast track through either qualifications or uh, just exposure, giving you guys the opportunity to say, well, you have the experience. I mean, some of these guys coach like around the world in these franchise leagues and the IPLs and they're getting turned away for county second 11 jobs uh, or not even getting into it. It's ridiculous. These Asian coaches, I won't name who they are, but they're being told to go and get experience and go do this. Whereas, um, you know, other players, I'm trying not to name people, but other players go straight into high Well, I think if you look at the, the coach you set with England now, you look at uh, Collingwood, Triscothic, pretty much come straight out of the team. Whereas yeah. you're saying people that you've spoken to, we won't name, of course, 
aren't getting those opportunities at all, even though they are coaching at other levels, at high levels um, across the world. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're in the IPL, they're in the, um, what's the, the, the other franchise leagues, and they can't get job interviews here. Um, but you look through, and I don't think it's a, a bad thing that some of these people move, you know, through the dressing room to other environments. It just seems to be, well, if it is one rule for one, it needs to be, you know, for the other, there are things that, you know, I could be a level four coach, I'd be really experienced and I would still wouldn't have the insight of what to do when you're under the pressure in test cricket. So, so you do need people in that environment who understand what, what it's like and what you're going through. But my point is those people are predominantly, you know, white British players as opposed to, to British South Asian players or, or black players. There was, a, I forgot, there was a really good example and I, I really can't remember it, but it, his, um, there's a black coach whose record was outrageous. Had won the CPL, um, had won so many tournaments around the world, and and couldn't get the second eleven job at a county I won't name. And you're like, what are we doing? I, I kind of kicked off a little bit on Twitter as well when Sussex put a job advert out for their academy director, and in the essential criteria was must have played international first class cricket. But, why does the academy director have to have played first class or international cricket? They mentioned in, in the meeting uh, recently at Parliament, like it's not going to be a quick fix. I know Tom's probably going to touch on some stuff that he's sort of doing to try and look at sort of short term, medium term solutions in order to make sure that we are focused on trying to make change immediately as well as the long term. And so, yeah, I think um, I think a more diverse background from top level down is definitely needed in terms of trying to like inspire British South Asians as well as white British players, as well as black British players that have a minority group. And your research isn't just on ethnic disparity. You also find that social and economic class has an impact. Um, we read that you recently found that if you're white and privately educated, you're 34 times more likely to make it as a pro cricketer than a black or Asian and state educated. Were you surprised by that? It is, it is surprising when, and it's weird to me because I present this stats and Adam and I work, you know, in this field a lot. So we see a lot of odds ratios and we get kind of oh, excited or, oh, wow, this is a big one. If you see an odds ratio around sort of two, three, four times more likely, this is rid- 34 times more likely is ridiculous. Like, and to the point where you can't hide and say, oh, well, you know, it's not, it's not a, a big issue or, or, or like you say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's to be expected. That's not acceptable. So given how bleak these statistics look, what future do you see for British Asian players at the top of the game? Well, the, the warning I keep giving these the ECB and people is that we're doing all these things, all these initiatives, all these T-shirts, whatever. If you look at the future and you say, let's fast forward to 2025, the chances are, I don't want to write anyone off, but the chances are the likes of Moeen and Rash are probably towards the end of their careers. Um, and then you're saying, well, well, who's going to come through then? You've got Saqib Mahmood, but... He's a fast bowler that could break, like Jofra, at any minute. I said Jofra's elbow injury could be career-ending or, or at least Red Bull career-ending. Jordan, again, will be is 32, 33 now, so could have retired. Tymar Mills is breaking down, bless him, you know, a lot. And, and is I think he's 30 or something like that. Um, so you've really got Hasib Hamid and Saqib Mahmood and Verdi, Surrey, that you are putting all your eggs in one basket that in 2025 that these lads have to be at the England level. Verdi's not even getting a look in at the minute ahead of guys like Don Best, so he's behind. Like I said, Mahmood is a fast bowler and can break at any minute, and Hamid 
is already, you know, I really feel for him and I hope we look after him. But you could be in a situation after all these initiatives, after everything in 2025, and the England team could be whiter than ever. There was a survey the PCA did about who experiences racism. Um, it, it went out to the whole of uh, all the professional players. And it was, I think, 25% of them said, oh, we've seen or experienced racism. Um, but then they looked at where did you experience racism? And I think it was 62% of incidences, the racism came from another player. Whereas if you look at football, the chances are that the most of racism is from the stands or the racism we, we hear and see about is either on social media or from the stands. So having done all this research, how do we go about putting it into practice? Uh, you know, there have been various bits of research, like the Fletcher Report, which don't seem to have been acted on. Do you think there's an unwillingness from clubs and institutions to engage with academic research? Oh, my God. Yeah, massive. <laughs> like, like, bearing in mind, like, and my own background is I, you know, I played at Warwickshire till I was 20. I was a coach and I did all this. And, and I was really lucky to get this opportunity with the, with the PhD. And it wasn't really something I, I even thought about doing until the opportunity came. But now having done it and you see the benefits, and I, I sit in both departments I you know I coach on one hand and I'm academics on the other and the difference between the two the knowledge in one room compared to the knowledge in the room that's actually practitioner is is massively different and you think and not to put these people down you know they're still very good coaches and you know people do things but you're like weird we have to as academics acknowledge and every piece we'll write we'll talk about further research is required we still don't understand this yet yet the attitude's kind of in not all but some coaches as we already we know what we're doing it's worth finishing on the fact that yours and adam's work isn't just focused on diagnosing problems you're also looking at solutions what can coaches specifically do to learn from this and correct this situation going forward tom's final study when he brings everything together is designing this conceptual model so coaches, policymakers, etc., can implement this into their education programs. They can help better understand what is happening within their systems. We know the data now and we found differences or key differences between British South Asian and white British players. Uh, we've got qualitative data to better understand British South Asian experiences throughout the pathway. And now based on all that evidence we found coupled with the evidence we already know based on the systematic review, this model will really sort of help shape what coaches can do to better understand coaching cricket from a more diverse perspective. The big question now is where cricket goes next. To discuss how we address the issues that Taj, Chris, Tom and Adam have just raised, I sat down with two members of the Rainstop Play team who have worked on this story, Glenn and Will. You'll hear from Will first. The first thing to say is it's just amazing that the hearing in Parliament itself was of such huge interest to the public and to journalists, not just to people who normally cover cricket, but to news journalism, to the front pages of, of national newspapers, um, and I think people really connected with that. And, and lots of people probably heard Azim's words from his own mouth for the first time, uh, which I think was a, was a huge emotional moment for that story. When we spoke about this a few months ago at first, 
I was a bit sceptical about whether this moment could actually force some change through because I said that, you know, cricket isn't really like football, something which ends up on the front pages of newspapers a whole lot. It doesn't have the same name recognition or cultural significance. I kind of thought that it would be easier for institutions to brush under the carpet. And I was wrong about that. And I'm very happy to be wrong about that, largely because of just how incompetent and institutionally racist Yorkshire's response ended up being. I think that was a huge factor in, in how the story became as massive as it did. And that ended up making it impossible to ignore. And that's how you get MPs getting involved in a, in a national event like what the hearing became, which I think is fantastic. Um, having said that, it's important first to note, and lots of people have pointed out that the DCMS committee of MPs were questioning a bunch of executives about a racism scandal when they themselves were an all white panel of MPs. And also that this is a government and a parliament critiquing other institutional bodies on their failings at the same time as they're embroiled in their own corruption scandals. I don't think that was lost on any journals or anyone sort of covering it either. I, I, it was, certainly wasn't lost on us. And I know the panel themselves acknowledged it, but it was a bit awkward, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, it, if anything, it kind of shows you just how terrible the situation is, right? When Parliament looks like a shining example of diversity and accountability by comparison with what we're hearing from Yorkshire, <laughs> you kind of know that the situation is just that bad. Um, so that that was Parliament, but I think it's also important that we don't get too sucked into the theatre and the drama of it. And we have to recognise that just talking about the issue is important, but it's not a win in itself and we have a long way still to go. Uh, Glenn. Uh, watching this in the, for the United States, you, you live in Iowa at the minute. Um, obviously, it wouldn't have dominated the news at all. Uh, not, definitely not as much as it did in the UK. What's your perspective been on on the hearing itself and, and this week in cricket, really? It's been very busy. I just want to hear your impressions on, on it as well. Yeah, thanks for that, Dan. And it, it is interesting to know, um, you know, obviously being here uh, in Iowa, that, that this story has... Um, uh, has been covered uh, in American media, including CNN. Uh, so it, it's definitely something that has has garnered international attention, um, as you know, as we all know. And yeah, it's clearly that there's many, many reasons for that. I think what's particularly egregious about the whole affair, for at least from my perspective, um, is just how many um, leaders quotation have been have been named and shamed, so to speak. You know, these are um, players um, of real influence. Uh, you know, we've got we've got captains, we've got names of of um, basically current and former England players um, involved. We've got broadcasters um, obviously involved and uh, some of whom uh, obviously f uh, overlap and are both you know former players and broadcasters. I think that really gets to the heart of how institutional uh, this this problem is. Uh, I think you, you know I, I I would challenge anyone really to to sit there and watch um, Rafik's testimony and and not you know, feel both quite emotional, um, especially when he was talking uh, about the miscarriage, which I thought was particularly um, difficult to to watch, and angry. And I think that, that seems to be the, the the general themes among the creative community. Um, yeah, you, you know, just just the lack of on top of the absolutely despicable acts of racism um, that the, the, um, Rafiq and other players have had to face at Yorkshire. Um, you know, just that lack of compassion in terms of his family. I, I just can't even imagine going through a trauma like that 
and some racist basically sitting you down in a room and belittling you. I mean, that is just disgusting. That really was horrible to horrible to watch. Yeah, you know, it's one of those stories where you you dig. It feels like an iceberg, right? We've seen the top. We've seen we've seen the initial stages. We've been covering it as have many superb journalists for the last couple of months, and we've seen that the tip, which is oh, there's a couple of racist players going all the way back. You know, a couple of couple of months ago to you know uh, tweets by Ali Robinson and and other other similar kind of instances where we you, you're like oh take a step back like oh this isn't this isn't right this isn't correct it just shows how obviously a institutional it is and b this is such a deep rooted problem in the in the cricket community i don't see this stopping i mean we 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 we've, we've there's been a bit of discourse about is this going to be a watershed moment is this what's this impact on wider society but i think it's important to note you know even just from a very narrow cricket perspective this this is this story is 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 beginning to be told these are not single instances this is a normalized culture where it seems to be completely okay in british cricket um in the in the previous years uh and obviously decades prior to that um to yeah to alienate isolate and and pick on people um uh, because of their race um, and or ethnicity and it's absolutely disgusting and it is the beginning it is by far not the end and we've seen that in literally this week more and more and more things are coming to light there'll be different names and i'll tell you what those same names those people who have already been named and shamed there'll be more things related to them that's where we're at at the minute. This is for like a more of a beginning moment than an end. I think Rafiq said that himself in Parliament. And I think listening to, to Chris's interview, you'd have just heard that. The big point for me, Will, was he said, we won't know when success has been. How do we quantify this? We won't know this until the next generation is coming through. What, what do you think is going to happen next? I mean, where do we go from here? How long might it take? Can we measure it? There's lots of big questions being chucked around at the minute in what is, as Glenn rightly put, the sort of beginning moment we're in now. I think that's a good question. And and, and you're quite right that there's kind of a tension at the heart of this where everybody that we've spoken to, and I think most people around the game recognise that, you know, there are no easy overnight solutions to any of these things. You're talking about systemic change among big organisations and groups of people up and down the country. But at the same time, I think Tom and Adam made a really important point, which is that, yes, things will take time to change. But the current crop of players, you know, your, your 16 to 24 year old young British Asian cricketer system now, those guys don't have time to wait for the change. They can't afford to have their careers ruined by racism in the way that Azim's has been. And frankly, the game of cricket in England can't afford to have that because everybody that doesn't get the right opportunity is a waste of talent to the country, to potentially to the national team. And it's a scandal in and of itself. So we have to balance those two things, you know, that understanding that quick plastering over the cracks isn't going to cut it. These are long term social problems. At the same time, we can't afford to lose any of the urgency and the momentum that this case has, has generated. And that's where I think it's important to say that where I maybe differ from others is that, you know, this isn't a watershed by itself. Um, just because we're talking about it, it doesn't solve the problem as though because it's in TV and it's on the newspapers, the scales fall from the eyes of all the racists and somebody, you know, they, they come to the light and it's all it's all, all happy days. That's that's naive in the extreme. Um, and I think to some degree, that's the sense that you get with some of the ECB's evidence in Parliament in particular was the sense that they they really want crisis to go away and they want to sort of do the bare minimum that the heat comes off them and say well look we're, we're launching a new consultation and a commission we're, we're going to ask everybody put to publish new diversity and inclusion plans all this kind of stuff is that actually addressing the structural things behind the game or is that using the statement there's no overnight fix 
to actually not do very much and do the bare minimum so that the spotlight comes off of your own behavior. Then I'm going to give you the big one here, which I think everyone in cricket in the UK is trying to work out right now. What's next? Yeah, it's uh, a vital question, Dan. And it's obviously, as we all know, it's a really tricky one to approach. Uh, I think Will put it really beautifully just a few moments ago. Like, we don't want these kind of endless committees uh, and these, you know, plans and these platitudes. You know, even even the statement the, the ECB released, I think, just, just today was pretty light on detail. Um, so I, it, it is a tricky one. I mean, my, this isn't necessarily a, a fix, but I it just, you just genuinely feel like English cricket just needs like a massive clear out, you know, in terms of players, in terms of management, in terms of commentators, in terms of, you know, in the media, you know, it is it, such, uh, embedded problem in cricket culture like almost every position, every place we look, um, there, there is an absolute stack of issues. I think obviously making it um, uh, making it uh, easier for for players to feel comfortable speaking out. Uh, this is this is current uh, and former players um, to feel to feel like they're going to be able to talk about their experiences and you know to to name names without any fear of retribution to you know their reputation or um, or their career. That's going to be really important. Um, but you know, there just isn't really a big fix because this is this is exactly the thing. You know, the game really does feel as of this week quite rotten to its core. So it, it almost makes me, you know, as a fan, as someone who has, you know, just put together a podcast with a few of my mates because it's something we love the sport. It leaves the most bitter of tastes in your mouth. It's just like in the same way after the, you know, during the Euros, after after England lost the final and, you know, the, the three three players received just an absolute ton of disgusting, just you know, absolutely appalling abuse. It, that that really didn't really particularly make me want to engage with at least international football uh, for, for quite a while. The same thing. Thing here it doesn't it, it really doesn't make me particularly um, excited or interesting in the ashes in the slightest the headline on bbc that i've that i've pulled up here is will the ashes be overshadowed by the off the field issues yes i hope it is Let's already not... ha- already has for, for me yeah, and i think I, I think you're saying absolutely. what a lot of people might be thinking right now it's hard to build up to it isn't it yeah, and we shouldn't. You know, it almost you know, we shouldn't just be like, oh well, yeah, there's apologies and there's there's a couple of committees and stuff, and that's okay. You know, it's been this issue's been recognised. Absolutely who's, not. Who's, who's batting at six? I don't. I can't be bothered to ask that kind of question now. Absolutely, and yeah, it should it should be not only overshadowed but overshadowed but character uh, characterised um, by by the, the the problems that are happening for different reasons in both countries right now. And it's yeah, it it, it really feels like you just need like uh, almost like a top to bottom. Uh, clear out and genuine, genuine reform, not lip service. And, you know, whether that's, um, you know, heart making new hires at every county cricket club to have a diversity inclusion officer, you know, full time position um, that, that potentially um, can help uh, deal with issues like this. But again, I, I, you know, when it's so embedded, it really is difficult to just just click your fingers because so many people in positions of power, the ones a lot of the people who are making these decisions about how to change it, are, you know, embroiled in this scandal as well. So again, that really does complicate this. Well, I'll, I'll throw the same question over to you. Is, and I'll also say, is is there any hope in this? Can we be can we can we be positive out of this? Perhaps is there any light from this? Is there like okay, it's out there now. We can start moving, or is it just kind of harrowing and we're all feeling a bit rotten at the minute? As Glenn said, where's your big where now? I think Glenn's absolutely 
right that it's it's a real kind of gut punch to anybody who who loves the game and, and wants to get enjoyment from it. I mean, as you say, even we've had new Alex Hale stuff come out even on the day that we're recording this, and it feels like every single day there's a new low point, um, and it just keeps getting ever even lower, even as you think you've hit the bottom of the barrel. Um, and Glenn's totally right that there, there needs to be a real clear out of lots of personnel, and there are clearly just just deep issues with with people who are in positions of power in the game, and, and clearly there's lots of racial harassment and a, and, a, and a deeply racist culture at play here. We saw that in Azim's testimony and everything else. But there's also lots of wider issues, as all of our guests show us, and, and I and I hope this moment can be an opportunity to to discuss some of those more structural things that are problems within the game. And if you're looking for a note of positivity, I think in a way Chris's work. Um, is really positive and it shows us that we go we can only get the game that all of us want if we build it ourselves and I, I think nobody has come out of this process with much trust or faith in the institutions running the game right so we can't leave it up to anybody that's in power at the moment we can't leave it up to anybody else really it's, it's up to everybody who's involved in the game in whatever capacity as a as a broadcaster as a person who's in a in a dressing room as someone who plays cricket as a fan in the way that we all communicate on social media it is an opportunity that we have to reflect on how we will behave in, in all of those climates. And if if we use our power as members and fans and everything else, then 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 hopefully we can build a change amongst ourselves. One of the interesting things I think that Chris said is that since Lord Patel came in at Yorkshire, he's seen a bit of a drop off in, in fan engagement with his campaign. Um, that some people kind of think, oh, well, the problem's being solved now. Hutton's gone, there's a new chair. The club's kind of taking care of things. And that's absolutely what we can't allow to happen. We can't let the illusion of progress take away the momentum of this moment. We need to use it to keep pushing for change and not let anybody sweep these issues under the carpet. I think that's something that Tom and Adam's research um, and Taj's work as well up in Yorkshire all shows us, which is that the issues facing South Asians in cricket are not individual bad apples or slightly over the top banter, which is how this conversation kind of started with this kind of weird sort of, oh, it's just a question of where you draw the line. It is it's about deep structural issues and prejudices within the game um, and how those filter through to all sorts of issues, coaching decisions, hiring decisions, boardroom representation and, and many, many deeper issues. Um, you know, why should power ever be concentrated in two or three positions at a club? Is that a healthy way to do it? Or can we open things up to fans more generally? Would that help to build a more transparent atmosphere around the whole game? Um, but of course, we also need immediate institutional change. And I think there are some pretty obvious ways that, that you can go about doing that. I mean, number one, complaints of harassment can't be investigated by the same club that's accused of doing them. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Um, and I think the ECB almost overnight could announce a new independent body that if you need to make a complaint against the club who it's your employer, you can do that and it be investigated by a body that's not either the club or the ECB. It has to be done by somebody with investigative and implementation powers and disciplinary powers of its own. Um, that would be a huge step one. And also you know, that's about improving the game overall, not just of racial harassment, but any. You know, it's very important that, that players in a high stress environment where we know there's a culture of bullying have a body that they can complain to over discrimination on the grounds of race or sex or sexuality or anything else. Um, so there are really obvious concrete things like that, that that do need to see proposals brought forward very, very quickly. But beyond that, we all have to take choose take this moment to, to build the game that we want to see.
that will about wrap it up for this rain stop play special episode we really hope you enjoyed it and found it informative I want to give a massive thank you to all of our guests that came on you can find all of their details their twitter handles their websites in the description so do go and give those guys a follow um, thank you to the rest of the Rainstop Play team uh, Will who organised most of the interviews uh, Glenn and Zach working behind the scenes as well on, on what's been a, a really interesting episode to put together uh, and thank you for listening um, it's been a bit different I hope you've enjoyed it you can follow us on Twitter at RainstopPod or you can email us with questions uh, that's RainstopPlayPod at gmail.com all of that will also be in our bio so for now thank you very much for listening and we'll see you very soon For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.